Um, today we're going to continue our uh, series on faith deconstruction, and I'm uh, honored to invite uh, my wife up, who is the co-founder of Central City Church, to share with you all as we bring this series to a close. And I'm excited for what will happen and where we'll, um, uh, where we'll end up today. So, come on up, babe. I don't know if I can follow um, that video or... <laughs> Um, yeah, saying bye to Ryan. Ryan was like our first real worship leader as we were starting this thing, and it's been a good three years. We recruited. We went up to the um, Olentangy River Brewing Company, and, and we said, hey, look, we know you're, you're leading somewhere else, but... We really want you to come be a part of what we do because we're better than that other church. And <laughs> we didn't say that. We didn't say that. That was 100% God. <laughs> yeah. And then I went and visited that church when he was leading, and it was, you know, it was fine. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just remembering all of that now. Um, Anyways, yeah, my name's Alyssa, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, and um, I was thinking, I was remembering last year, I've never preached at St. Luke's before. Um, the last time I preached was at Outdoor Worship, um, so this is fun. I've talked in this room before, but I, up front with a microphone, but I've never preached um, here, so it's fun. If you're here this morning, um, many of us have already walked through some kind of faith deconstruction. I think it, if not, um, you're probably around people that have had some sort of faith deconstruction or um, thought through or let go of some of the, um, the beliefs or behaviors that you grew up with or that you were taught uh, were necessary to being a Christian. Um, you know, we've thought through what we believe now, um, how we want to act, and how we want our faith to, um, to be seen through us. Um, and whether you've torn it all down or you've just knocked down a few walls and remodeled, um, I think we've all had to figure out how to keep our faith while letting go of some of it as well. Um, I saw this quote about uh, you know, if you've met someone with a particular diagnosis, you've met one person with that diagnosis. Like, what it's saying is, like, we're all unique. We all experience that diagnosis or that thing ourselves, and we're all interacting with it differently, and the effects of it are different. And when I saw that, I was like, that, that can apply to every single thing in life. If you've met one woman, you've met one woman. <laughs> like, if you've met one man, you've met one man. Like, the generalization and the, um, the broad strokes that we put on some things sometimes don't, and most times, don't apply to everyone. So, you know, I say that because if you met one person who's deconstructed their faith, then you've probably met one person who has deconstructed their faith in the way that they've done that and when and how and um, how they ended up on the other side of that is probably different than anyone else who has also gone through that journey. Um, so I say that because, you know, 
all of our experiences are unique, and we each have our own story to tell, and we each have our own ways in which God has worked in that, um, and the ways that we've experienced community and faith in light of that. So um, the the only thing that kept coming to mind uh, when thinking about this morning was just me sharing my own story, um, which isn't, you know, it's fine, whatever, but it's not a big deal. But it was the only thing that was like, we each have our own story, and I think it's important for us to tell our stories. And so hopefully by me sharing mine, you might be inspired or feel like you can share yours as well. I grew up in church, um, like loved every single minute of, I was there like almost every day of every day that I was um, at my church. We were there all the way from when I was born, like my family went there before I was born. And then I graduated uh, high school. And then even in college, when I moved away, I still went, went there when I, was ho- when I was home and I still gave there when I was in college. And um, it's the reason why I'm a pastor today, like being at that church, is where I felt called to be a pastor. Well, it was at that church when I had the opportunity to serve at another church. Um, so it wasn't actually at that church. But, um, but I was, you know, in this faith community growing up and felt called to be a pastor. And I went to undergrad to be a pastor. Um, and I went to Ohio Northern, which some people will say is like super liberal and blah, blah, blah. But it's also United Methodist School. So that's why I went there. And I love Jesus and church and community, and I wanted other people to experience that as well. And so my first quarter, I'm a youth ministry major, and I take uh, introduction to the Old Testament or introduction to the Hebrew Bible as, I'm like, why don't you just change the course name if you're going to say it different every single time? Because every day it would be like, introduction to the Old Testament, but actually the Hebrew Bible. Anyways, <laughs> serious trauma from undergrad. No, I'm just kidding. It's not trauma. Flashbacks. But anyways, I knew all the stories of the Old Testament, so I, like, was not worried about it, and it was my first year of college, so I was actually going to be a good student, Um, and I thought that this was just going to be, like, all the Bible studies that I went to growing up, and we were going to look at the stories, and we were going to talk about them, and we were going to talk about how God's working, and, you know, all these things, and within the first week, I was like, this is not what we are doing. Um, and sometimes I, I got so mad, and, and I had this conversation with this professor over the next four years, um, but I knew that there were people in that room who weren't active in their faith. Like, most of them are taking that class because they just needed a gen ed religion class, and um, they, most of them went to Catholic high school, so they already, like, took all of this stuff, and they had all the notes with them. And I was like so frustrated because I felt like my professor was intentionally trying to crush our faith, like intentionally using the most extreme examples in the Bible of genocide and rape and famine and xenophobia and homophobia. And, and as much as I fought my own faith being crushed, I really just would, I just kept saying, I think you're crushing everyone's faith in here. Why are you doing this? These people like need to know that God is real and God is for them but you're doing the opposite. And as much as I kept saying it was about my classmates, in reality, like, my faith was being crushed. And everything that I knew growing up, I just felt like I was lied to. Like, I was reading the same Bible, and I just felt like I was lied to. I never heard these kinds of conversations at my church growing up. I never heard, you know, when we talk about Joshua and marching around this town and 
tearing the walls down. Like I never heard these conversations that were like, well, here's a different perspective and humans wrote the Bible, those kinds of things. I never heard varying perspectives on how we deal with difficult things in the text. I also didn't know that we could think bigger. I didn't know that God was bigger than this book in this one way that it was interpreted. Um, I think I honestly thought that, this is so weird as I was writing this, I honestly thought that all Christians believed what I believed and that the people who didn't believe that, like the, like my friends in high school that I was trying to like evangelize, um, that they just weren't Christians, you know, like they didn't know God. And I, I didn't know that, that people could believe different and that God could be bigger than all of this. Anyways, fast forward a couple years, I'm still an undergrad, but now I'm in a philosophy of religion class, which is the hardest class in the world, and a history of Christianity class, which is also hard, because then you realize, like, throughout history, humans are still influencing what the church is doing, and that was really hard for me (laughs) to, to come to terms with. I'm pretty sure that almost (laughs) most of us coming out of that religion department, like as youth ministry majors, that was our major, youth ministry, I'm pretty sure that we were all barely hanging on to our faith when we graduated, and we were only hanging on because our future jobs depended on it. (laughs) You know, like, oh, we just spent four years to get a youth ministry job or to go to seminary, and so we have to have some semblance of this. There was a moment in undergrad when I wasn't sure if I believed anymore. I was a youth ministry intern, and I was teaching a Bible class, the same Bible that my professors just, you know, completely tore up, um, to these kids every week. And about six months in, I told the youth pastor, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know if I believe any of this, and I don't know how to explain it to kids the same, like, not the same way, but the same way that my professor did that will make sense and that I can be faithful to the text and our faith. And so I just said, I can't do this anymore. And my mentor and good friend, she told me in that season that, like, this is what the church is for. Like, these are the moments where, you know, my community is there to pray for me when I couldn't pray, to sit with me in these moments and let me explore and ask questions, and that they would hold me up. And they did. Um, They were able to, one of the reasons why I think they were able to hold me up, my community, they were able to pray for me and sit with me was because that was a community different than the one that I grew up in that actually believed that God was bigger, that God was not limited to um, the words on this text, but that God is still speaking and God is still working and moving in our lives. And there are things that we need to reconcile in our faith and in our history, but that God can still move in the midst of that. Um, I don't know if I could tell you what I believed before undergrad, which is a weird thing. Um, like, I probably just believed everything that my parents or my church said, which I don't know if I could articulate that. Um, but one part of my deconstruction in this, in this process, and it actually was probably, like, after, after undergrad, um, was really letting go of the idea that I had it all figured out and letting go of the idea that I should make sure that everyone else lives and believes the exact same way that I do. That was the, probably the hardest part of my deconstruction. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, these certain things just like are different than the way that you learned them, or, you know, women can be pastors. <laughs> that was a thing. Um, but it, So it wasn't necessarily like, 
letting go of these ideas, but it was letting go of like me having to be sure and me having to make sure that everyone else is doing their thing to like doing the right thing. So we've been, you know, using these metaphors of the house. And as I think about this house that was kind of given to me um, growing up, uh, you know, in this season, I had to tear down all the doors that kept LGBTQ friends and family out, which my, my family wasn't necessarily tearing those doors down. So um, I had to tear down the walls that said if you had an abortion or had sex outside of marriage, that you had to stay in those rooms and be shamed and by yourself. I had to tear down the walls that promoted America as the best and safest and most righteous country, even during the wars that we started. You know, I had to tear down all of these, these things that once I went into the world and I realized that God is bigger than all of this, the, that stuff just didn't hold up anymore. Every once in a while, I have to, like, revisit something that I've held on to, though. Um, like, I read scripture, and I'm reminded of how I felt or what I thought when I was, you know, before I deconstructed everything. And I have to really, like, figure out what does this mean now in this phase, and who, how is God working in the midst of this now? And every single time, I'm completely amazed at God's grace in this journey, though. Um, God is like this gentle parent that, you know, like is sitting on the floor with me, like nudging along just, just enough to, to keep going, you know, helping me and assisting as needed, but also letting me stumble and figure things out and put things together. If you have kids, you know, like they put stuff together and you're like, that is not how that goes. And for me, it takes everything within me to be like, Finn can be creative and he can do what he, you know, it can be his. It doesn't have to be perfect or how it's supposed to look here. It can be his. And that's how I feel in, in these seasons that that's how God is. Like, I'm not putting it together perfect or how God would or, or how God created it to be, but God is still there letting me figure it out and holding me and right next to me the whole time. You know, we've been using the house metaphor, but there are so many house metaphors in Scripture as well. Jesus uses the metaphor a couple different times he's, when he's teaching parables. Um, it's, it's throughout the Old Testament as well, um, and then into uh, the letters of Paul. But the week leading up to Jesus' death, um, Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem, and he's surrounded by all these religious leaders who are trying to figure out how to get rid of him. Um, you know, he's completely, like, overturned their idea of God or how God would be in the world. He's causing chaos. They, they, you know, might not believe in him, but he's still creating, like, chaos and dissension among people that they're supposed to be leading. And so, obviously, we have to get rid of that. And so he's telling them a parable about a vineyard, um, a, a person who built a vineyard. And at the end, he's quoting a psalm. Um, and a couple other places in the Old Testament that talks about this. But he says, quoting this psalm, he says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then he says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. So the stone that the builders rejected, the people who were building this faith, building this temple, building this house, 
they took away, they rejected the stone that would actually be the foundation that would straighten everything out, make sure that everything is stable and aligned. And the religious leaders around him knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. It was then that they went off to kind of like plot how they were going to arrest him. And Jesus is that stone, that cornerstone. This is the stone that sets our direction. It's the foundation. It makes sure the building is square. It's the first and most important stone laid. And we can see throughout history that religious leaders, people of influence, pastors, you know, people have always tried to skew the building of our faith. Sometimes intentionally and sometimes not. Sometimes we pass on what we know because we don't know any different. But sometimes we forget that Jesus has to be the deciding factor in everything we do or believe. And so we can, you know, Jesus is the plumb line. So we read everything and we think about everything in terms of how Jesus would do that or what Jesus would say as we've seen in scripture and through the Holy Spirit. This is the Jesus who said, love God and love your neighbor. That's the most important thing. Jesus who said that he came to give sight to the blind, set the oppressed free. Jesus who said, you have to lose your life to gain it. Jesus who said, this is my favorite. <laughs> Just sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I might skip that part now. <laughs> Never mind. Jesus who said, in sacrifice, not my will, but God's will be done. You know, like this is the Jesus that we measure everything else against. And Jesus was nothing like the religious leaders of his day or of our day. We know the houses that we were given didn't always have. I know the house that I was given didn't always have Jesus as the foundation. Um, and I don't think this gives us permission to, like, to judge others who still live in those houses or still are operating under those ways. Um, but I think it does remind us to constantly be assessing, okay, what is our foundation? What, it, what is the direction that we're heading? Is it focused on Jesus? Is it, is it living like Jesus would want us? And as we continue to journey, as we continue to build and remodel, deconstruct, because I think that is just part of the journey. I don't know if it ever ends. But the most important part, the part that will determine all the other factors, is Jesus. I will say that not everyone, this is not my notes, but I, and I'm recognizing this, like not everyone that deconstructs come out, comes out the other side still wanting to follow Jesus because sometimes the houses we were given just don't allow for that in this time. But I still think it's a journey and God is with them anyways. But so as I let go of keeping people out and shame and unhealthy Christian beliefs that I was given, I have been able to rebuild with grace and the freedom that Jesus offers and with eyes focused on the marginalized whom Jesus sits with. Jesus says the kingdom of God will be given to those who will produce its fruit. And I think that's hopeful for us. Like, there will always be people who build houses and, and, and have beliefs that aren't, that are harmful and that aren't helpful and that we need to, to assess. But, but in the end, like the, there will be those who do produce fruit that is in line with the kingdom of God, which just reminds me of, um, and this is one thing that I did learn at church camp growing up. So, you know, I can hold on to that. 
but it's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, like the, the fruit that is in line with the kingdom of God is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that are the fruit of the kingdom. And if our beliefs and our houses don't produce this kind of fruit, then we need to check our foundation. We need to see what we're relying on and if Jesus can is still the foundation of what we're doing. So when we let go of some stuff, may we rebuild with the fruit of the kingdom of God. Growing up, um, I loved hymns. I went to a church that had a traditional service and a contemporary service, and, you know, I loved church, so I went to both of them. But I would go to the traditional service at my home church because I felt like deep within me this power of the communion of saints. And that was one thing when I was deconstructing my faith too. I was like, okay, people for thousands of years have believed this. And I know that's not like the most, I took a logic class too, and it was like, that's not good logic. But in my mind, it worked for me. Like people for thousands of years, if it didn't hold up, then it wouldn't have held up. And I'm just going to like keep thinking through that and trying to make sense of all this. But I felt in this room, in this chapel, that there were faithful and humble and good people who lived their faith and loved God and who had worshiped at that church, sang these songs for over a hundred years, and then thinking through all the people thousands for thousands of years all over the world. So I loved these hymns because these hymns, you know, they spoke, they spoke words of scripture, but they also spoke words of how we live out our faith in, in light of the scripture that we're reading. And they kind of bind us together and singing those hymns, it kind of grounded me in this idea that all of this is bigger than me, that, that God is bigger than me, and in the end, it'll be okay. Like, you know, the, the pressure, the doubt, the, the fear of losing everything or not knowing where I'm going to come out on the other side of this, like, it'll be okay because God is bigger than, than all of this. There was one hymn that I just want to point out that guided me through all these years and... Um, like these years specifically when I was deconstructing and it was come thou fount. And one of the, um, one of the lines, one of the verses says, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood. You know, I can have like issues with some of those words, but you know, the whole, the, the idea of it, that Jesus is still with me and Jesus is constantly seeking me out no matter where I go. Um, and then the next verse says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I'm, I'm human. I am constantly making mistakes. And in this season, I felt like I was, like, running away from God, even though I'm, like, standing in worship singing the song. But I felt like I was running away from God. And this idea that God was, like, still holding on to me, I couldn't go anywhere that God wasn't, wasn't with me. And that was just so much grace. Um, so hymns and songs are great because we sing what we believe. The tunes and the words stick with us, and sometimes there is uh, scripture in the songs, but often we're singing like interpretation and action from this community and how we can live our faith in our scripture. Um, there might there are lots of hymns in the hymnal that I'm like, ah, I wouldn't sing that anymore about like rapture and stuff, but um, but you know there are things that in the hymns that that remind us of who Jesus is 
what Jesus says, that, that, that Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor, that, that Jesus says, you know, be with the poor, be with the marginalized. And um, right now, kind of like as an act of worship, as we close out this, um, this series on faith deconstruction, as we kind of look to rebuild um, and see and say, this is how we as a faith community um, want to follow Jesus. Uh, we're going to look through some of the hymnals in your pews, not the ones in the slots, like we will get in trouble, but the ones on the, on the benches that have scissors on them that are already torn up. If it has a cover, do not touch it. But if it is just paper, <laughs> you can look through it. But we're just gonna, like, I, we just encourage you to look through those. If there are like words or lines or maybe a hymn that you, has helped you in this process, we're gonna, you can cut those out and we're going to um, paste them on our own little house as kind of a, a visible, um, a visual reminder of the house that, that we're building and that God has for us. Um, so we're going to spend a couple, a couple moments uh, to do that, and then we'll, we'll do communion and that.